What up, winners? I wanted to talk to you all about our new venture with Patreon. We post weekly bonus content for just $5 a month on our Just Win Baby tier. It's great content that you all will enjoy. We appreciate your constant support for this podcast and would love if you just supported us on Patreon as well for just $5 a month. Go to patreon.com slash wakeupandwinpod and you will be able to get all the Wake Up and Win content you want. Again, appreciate you all for listening and let's enjoy the show. Hey, now say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, and today we have a very special guest. She is a sports anchor at COIN. She also co-hosts the AJ and Dusty show on 1080 The Fan. You might see her sideline reporting from time to time, and most importantly, in my opinion at least, she is the 2021 Oregon Sports Broadcaster of the Year. AJ McCord, we finally made it happen. We did. I'm so stoked to be here. Thank you so much. I'm energized after that intro. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to have you here. Obviously, there's a lot going on in sports, but I want to start with you and AJ McCord in particular. As I mentioned, you just won Oregon Sports Broadcaster of the Year. Um, There's definitely a historic element from a social element that we'll speak to shortly, but I like to get folks' initial reaction. When you hear that you win this award, Who did you hear it from? How did you react to it? And what were just some of the emotions you went through knowing that your hard work and all the work you do pay it off for you to win such a such a prestigious award? So I got a call from Dave over at NSMA, National Sports Media Association, which is based out of North Carolina. I can't remember what morning it was, but I was prepping for the radio show. And I saw the North Carolina number and I'd been told by a co or like a colleague maybe a month before, like, Hey, did you know you're up for this award? And I was like, no, I didn't. And then, um, we were at a Blazers press conference. So I kind of put it out of my mind and didn't think about it. And then, um, got a call from a North Carolina number and I'm pretty picky about who I answer the phone for. And so I rarely answer numbers that I don't know. And I even more rarely answer them and like, say, Hey, this is AJ. It's more of a Hey, how can I help you? And then if they're like, Hey, we're looking for AJ. I'm like, Oh, who's calling? Because I'm just like, I want to make sure I know who you are before I uh, acknowledge that it's me on the other end of the line. And so anyway, I got a call from North Carolina number. I have friends there. So I was like, okay, well I should check. And it was Dave and he was like introduced himself. And then he said, I'm calling because uh, you won sportscaster of the year. And um I was like it it was that feeling of like wow I'm I'm so I like I didn't quite know how to process the information I guess at that time because I was so honored but I was also um and I was and I was so flattered that like my colleagues voted because it's a it's a peer voted award and so I was so flattered that you know the people that I work with because I work alongside some really amazing people um, who cover all of our teams so incredibly well. And so, um, yeah, I was I was flattered to win it. I was grateful to win it. And then a little bit later in the day, I think someone had mentioned like, "Oh, did you know you're only the second woman?" And it was a like, "Oh wow, that makes it you know like I'm even I'm even more grateful and more honored." But also like, 
hey, we got to get some more women up here because it's, yeah. it's 2022. Um, but yeah, it, I, I was, I was stoked about it. I love, I love this city. I love sharing the stories of these athletes. I'm so grateful for the viewers and the listeners who trust me to tell them what's going on with their favorite sports and their favorite athletes. And, um, it meant a lot to, to have been recognized that way. Absolutely. And I want to talk more about what you mentioned, being only the second woman to win this honor. Um, and this award has been going out since the late 1950s. I want to say like 1958, to be exact, that this award has been given out. And the fact that, as you mentioned, it's 2022, obviously, that was for the year 2021. But the announcement comes out in 2022 that you will win this award. Where do you kind of fall on that line of Obviously, being grateful, as you mentioned, all the reasons why you were grateful just a second ago, but also understanding like you almost now kind of have a responsibility to have to advocate for women to be able to get into the position that you've been able to earn yourself to be in to this particular point in your career. Well, and truthfully, that work has been going on for as long as I've been in this industry. I wouldn't be where I am without a lot of women reaching back a hand and saying, hey, pull up a chair at this table or hey, come along and shadow me and learn what I do or here's advice or let me introduce you to this person or pull you into this meeting. I wouldn't be where I am without a lot of women. Jenny Kavnar is somebody who's at the Rockies and I believe she actually won a Colorado Sports Broadcaster of the Year. So it was kind of fun uh, to win it with her because my very first inter internship was with the San Diego Padres. I was interning with Dick Enberg, but Jenny was sidelined. And right. she let me shadow her and she let me ask her all these annoying questions. I was a college kid and like, you know, stars in my eyes thought no, no jaded at all. Like the whole thing. And she just let me shadow her and she let me learn what it is that she does. And then through her, I got introduced to Lauren Gardner, who's over at MLB and NHL network. And, um, she, I was her like PA for a lot of San Diego state basketball games. And then you know, even here in Portland, there's Brooke Olsenden, there's Jamie Hudson, there's Annie Peterson. Like we have some really amazing women who work here in Portland. And then you have so many amazing women who come through and I'm missing like a million of them, which is such yeah. a cool thing to say because right. that wasn't always the case, right? It wasn't always the case that listing off half a dozen women who you know, and who are rooting for you and who are lifting you up, like that used to be hard. <laughs> it used to be yeah. hard to find half a dozen women who would do that. And so I think that for me, like the standard was set very early in my career that women are allies. We're not each other's competition. Like we, I felt, I feel like very early in my career, there was this sort of understanding that, you know, sports was a far more male dominated space. And so it felt very much like, Hey, there's one seat at this table for one woman, right? It like, there's only room for one of you. And so figure it out, duke it out, you know, like you're competing against everybody. And there were women very early in my career who very much like disregarded that as the status quo. And we're like, no, there's room. There are more chairs that we can pull up to this table. We can build a bigger table. And I think that that influenced me to where, you know, that's how I view it, right? Like there's room for all of us. We all no one is the same person. And even if you're going for the same job or, you know, interested in the same things, like everyone is so unique. And this is such an interesting career because everyone's successes are so public. Right. And so like you see like, oh, I was going for that job and then she got it. 
but there's an element of like, you're still rooting for each other. And so I think that's been how I've approached everything from in my career is that if it's like, what's for me is going to be for me. And there's nothing that I can do or say to change any of that. And so the best I can do is, is go for it. Right. And if it doesn't end up being me, then it means there's something else for me and me not getting it shouldn't detract from me being excited for a friend or for a colleague or for someone I admire getting it. And I think when I think about, you know, I talk to college students relatively frequently just about what, what this industry is like and, and the way that I've made it as far as I have. And I think that the biggest advice that I pass down to, you know, the next generation of women who I hope through my work, through, you know, where I followed in Doris Burke's footsteps and Kristen Ledlow's footsteps and Jenny Kavner, like where these women see is that, um, you know, that there's, there's room for everybody and that the best thing you can do is the earlier you figure out your niche in this industry, the better you are. Because for me, that eliminated a lot of the sort of comparison of like, well, this, like it, it helped me really narrow in on what I am passionate about, what I want to go for. And when you're, when you know what you are great at, when you know what you want to put your time into, when you know what you're passionate about, then everything else sort of falls by the wayside, right? Because you can be excited for somebody who got a job because like, that's not exact. I don't know if that makes sense, but that to me was like something I wish I'd learned. I wish I'd honed in on a little earlier in my career because it took me a while to realize that like, I am unique in this. And, And even though you're competing for public jobs or like, yeah, even though you're competing for jobs that you end up finding out very quickly who got it instead of you, your yeah. superpower is that you own what your space and you figure out where your voice is in that. And as long as you stay true to that, there's going to be things that come up. And so that's sort of the advice that I give the next generation is just to find your voice as early as possible because it yep. will make everything else so much easier. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I've been through sort of a, a similar ordeal in my career, especially with like sort of intersecting sports and politics, like by day I'm working in politics by night, I'm working in sports. But as we see sort of the progression of the industry, we're seeing all these creative ways that they intersect. They've always intersected in a lot of ways, but more in particular from a journalist standpoint, there's a lot more coverage of the intersection of sports and politics than we've ever seen before. But I, I want to know for you in particular, because clearly Better late than never, right? Your formula has worked. What would you say AJ McCord's niche is? Because it could be a formula that may work for somebody in the next generation who's looking to AJ McCord, seeing the the continued success that she's having. And obviously it's working out for you. You're the Oregon Sportscaster of the Year. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm at the heart of everything for me is storytelling. I really believe that the power of the human story and the human experience has the power to change the world as cheesy as it sounds. And so I remember being 16 years old and watching a football game. And I believe it was Andrew Kramer. It could have been Alex. I'm not, can't remember who was the sideline reporter for this NFL game, but I remember it was between the jets and the Bengals. And I remember it because I remember the matchup between Ocho Cinco and I want to say it was Antonio Cromarty and these two are going at each other. It's Thanksgiving day. And I remember like, we're sitting in our, you know, my cousin's house in, in LA 
in California. We're watching this football game all the way on the other side of the country. And um, I think it was the Bengals and the Jets. Of course, now I'm like, oh, I remember it so clearly and I'm forgetting details. But the point is, you know, we're all the way over here invested in it. And I remember the sideline reporter telling us stories about what these guys were doing for Thanksgiving dinner or how they'd given back to their community before, like for this holiday, how they'd, um, you know, in the morning done a Turkey drive or the day before done a Turkey drive or something like that. And I remember thinking, this is so cool. Like here I am as a football fan watching this game. And I just learned something about the human being underneath the Jersey and it made them so much more relatable, if that makes sense. And so for me, that was what got me interested in sports broadcasting was my family were, I mean, my mom, my grandma were diehard San Diego chargers fans, like bled blue and gold. Boo. My grandmother literally. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> Sorry. I had to give them a boo. Well, I, had I, mean, to do it. <laughs> I disowned them now. So it's right, fine. Right. They're in Los Angeles. So I've disowned them. Yeah. The Raiders um, are in Vegas. I, I'm a Bay area kid. So I obviously I'm not too fond of that. Them not being in Oakland, but still bleed see? silver and black though. <laughs> Uh, yep. Nope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> carry on, carry so, on. <laughs> so, um, but I remember just how invested we would get in these football games. Right. And I remember just being so, I just thought it was so cool to see the sideline reporter sort of pull back the curtain on who this person was as a human being. And so for me, that's what I come back to is I always come back to storytelling. I always come back to Who is the human being underneath your favorite team's jersey? And let me tell his story, her story, their story, because that is how you really utilize the the sort of the social capital that these athletes have to change the world, right? Like that's how you inspire. Like Kobe Bryant was an unreal basketball player, right? Like obviously unreal basketball player. But what is it about him that inspired everybody else? It wasn't his jump shot. I mean, that was like very impressive, but it was his Mamba mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what people took and translated to their own lives. That was a drive in Kobe Bryant that was unique. And so, and so um, obviously working (laughs) for what he wanted to do. And he, when he applied that to basketball, that people were like, dang, how can I apply the mama mentality to my job in this office or in this classroom or wherever it is? And I think that that's like sort of an example of what I'm talking about and in my niche. And so I think as I've you know developed at Coin, as I've developed at 1080, that's been what we've come back to every single time. And like radio has a tendency to fall into these hot take, you know. I think this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen. And that's not our show. Like our show is not about that. Do we offer an opinion when it's warranted? Absolutely. I think the Seahawks lost the trade for Russell Wilson. Call me crazy. But it comes back to storytelling. That's what we focus on. And so even in the Russell Wilson trade, we're talking about what he did at the Seattle Children's Hospital. We're talking about Mm. Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson being the ones who are left from that yeah. Super Bowl team and the pillars in the locker room. And so that's my niche. My niche is storytelling. I'm atrocious at math. And so <laughs> doing something that involves stats is like not, you know, like I'm not going to thrive in analytics. That's right. not going to be my niche. I, right. I don't like hot takes. That's not going to be my niche. This is my niche. My niche is storytelling and my niche is humanizing 
the, the, the athlete, the human underneath your favorite team's jersey. Let's humanize AJ, AJ McCord here for a second. We, we've already acknowledged you have a radio show. You're a sports anchor. Um, I've even had the, the pleasure of being a part of the same broadcast crew with you um, during your historic year of 2021. <laughs> uh, we, we, we were on the same crew for the University of Portland versus Portland State game. What is a day in the life for you? It was a fun game. It was a fun game. It was a fun game, fun atmosphere <laughs> for sure. UP got him pretty good, but it was definitely a fun one. And again, fun to be a part of that crew with you. But like, what does a day in the life of AJ McCord look like? Because you obviously wear many hats and it sounds like it can be a pretty sporadic career day to day, but obviously you love what you do. What does that kind of look like for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a little chaotic. I'm not going to lie. Um, but and there really is one of the things I love is that there really isn't a day to day like, oh, get up, go to this this time, go to this this time, because it changes right based on who's right. in town, who's playing, what interviews we have. And so, like, for example, today I got up around 730, went for a run, came here, did the podcast. I'll go do the radio show. I'll go do an interview um, at the Timbers practice facility. Then I'll go over to the trial center and start watching our high school basketball players because I'm calling those games on Saturday. Um, but then like on uh, Friday, I'll go do the radio show and then I'll go anchor at coin. And if there were a Blazers game, I'd go to a Blazers game between shows and then I'd come back and I didn't go to late shows. And then like during football season, it's get up and go to either Eugene or Corvallis on a Saturday to cover the ducks or the beavers. And then on Sunday, if the Seahawks are home, we're, heading to Seattle for the day. And so it's just a pretty, uh, it's very seasonally based. It's very, yeah. um, you know, day to day, it, but it's, it's typically starts pretty early and ends pretty late. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I also want to hear about your Super Bowl experience. You got to do a lot of work down in Los Angeles last month. Um, you were working with the next star folks and you were able to just kind of broadcast for what it seemed like, all types of uh, news stations across the country. Um, tell me a little bit more about that experience. I was following, you know, I follow your Instagram and all of that. So I was doing my best to kind of follow some of the work you were doing out there, but I I'd love to hear more about it. It was a blast. That was the second year in a row that I um, was chosen for that assignment and I loved it. The so last year in Tampa was a little weird just because we were still very much in the middle of, of COVID and, um, it was in Florida. So Florida wasn't quite in the middle of COVID anymore. <laughs> they <True>. decided, but <laughs> um, I was on the morning show for that one. And so that was, that was really hard because it was like getting up at two, going to the gym for like 20 minutes just to wake up and then doing live shots from, I think like 5 30 AM until like 11 a.m. and then going to shoot a story and then trying to sleep by like six or seven but that never happened so you're just like on fumes all week so right. this last one I was the night show um era as the night shift and so that was a lot of fun I got to talk a lot more sports I got to talk a lot more with like stations here on the west coast a little bit more um and it was, it was a blast. Nextstar does a really, really great job of doing this because we, uh, our company owns, I think, close to 200 stations around the country and like local stations around the country. 
And so it's a really cool thing that they do for every market is that they offer these live shots, right? And so we were off, we were talking to, you know, stations in Louisiana about Joe Burrow, and it really makes these local markets or like these local stations stand out and feel like they have this presence of Super Bowl, at the Super Bowl. But what that requires of us is that we have these huge Tupperwares of mic flags. Yeah. And every station's mic flag is in there. You get to the, you get to the riser outside of SoFi stadium and you start setting your mic flags up in order. So it, you know, I went from like Bluefield, West Virginia to Syracuse, New York, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to Shreveport, to Kansas city, da, 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 whatever. And you only have five minutes between each like mm. hit. And yeah. so it's like, you have to be ready to change that mic flag. You find out the anchor's names and then you go and you go and you go and you go for hours. And so I think I ended up doing a few hundred live shots, something like that throughout seven days. And wow. it was a blast. You're exhausted. You're um, like, forget your own name at points. You stumble over your words multiple times, but it's so fun. And this year I was able to cover a few more things because we were the night shift. I was able to go to like the Walter Payton event and Jarrett Payton, uh, Walter's son actually works for our Chicago affiliate. And so mm. Jarrett was, Jarrett was there and um, got to see him shine at, at this Walter Payton event, see Tyler Lockett and all these man of the year nominees. And so it was an unbelievable experience by, by Monday. I was, I was truthfully seeing double. I was so tired, <laughs> um, but it was, it was unbelievable. And this year I actually got to go into the Super Bowl. So it was the yeah. first Super Bowl that I like watched in person. And um, yeah, it was so far sweet. It was a great game, great crowd, great halftime show. That's, like, that's it was, where I was going next. Tell me about yeah. that show. <laughs> <laughs> it was epic. And they're like, pulling out i think i have a video on my phone they're like pulling out all of these little like they look like pieces of a kid's train set right like it's like yeah. they're pulling out all these like white blocks and then all of a sudden these cars come in from the other side and you're like how is this going to come together and it was wild because then i went back so we were up pretty high and so i went back and watched the halftime show the way it aired on television and it was so different than how i wow. watched it but it yeah. was also cool because SoFi has the infinity ring, right? So it has this big screen where mm -hmm. it was really like the best of both worlds where you can watch the game in person, you can have that sort of aerial view, but then they put a replay on right. the infinity screen. So it was like, now I'm back at home and I'm watching, you know, I'm yeah, watching yeah, the yeah, best yeah. camera angle. Um, sure. So it was the same way for the halftime show. So they would like have pretty much, I think what was airing on TV on the infinity screen, but then you could see down and like see Mary J. Blige, like fall down, like do her like big, you know, hurrah at the end or whatever. And yeah. um, it was a blast. It was, it was so cool. The place was rocking. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds super dope. Super happy. You got to experience that uh, moment, moment of transparency here. Yesterday was international women's day and I was just traveling in from Los Angeles and you and I were scheduled to record yesterday. I thought I was more prepared than I was. And in the end, I wasn't prepared for us to do this interview. Now, I've already ap apologized to you privately. I'll do so publicly here right now as well. But <laughs> <was> totally fine. <laughs> right, right. But, but what I will say is I'm actually sort of happy that we ended up not recording yesterday because about an hour after we were scheduled to record, 
we get this blockbuster trade. Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner are no longer with the Seattle Seahawks. They're going down to the Denver Broncos. And you cover the Seahawks quite a bit, obviously, working here in the Pacific Northwest. You obviously already mentioned, you know, during football season on Sundays, you're heading down to Seattle for those home games. So although I, I goofed and I didn't get the interview done with you yesterday, it, it all worked out, right? It all worked yeah. out. It happened. And now I get to ask AJ McCord, what are just some of your general thoughts about Russell Wilson being traded? You've obviously been covering him for some years now. What does it mean for him? What does it mean for the Seattle Seahawks? And ultimately, what might it mean for uh, the Denver Broncos as well? Well, I think a few things off. There's so much when you think about like processing such a blockbuster trade as this and knowing it's been in the works for weeks. Um, <clears throat> Russell Wilson has been the franchise leader in Seattle, right? For a decade. Right. He um, has been sort of larger than life in that community. And then you bring in Sierra, who's already larger than life. And it's like his whole family um, has just been a massive part of the Seattle community. And I think from a football perspective, you knew Michael Sean Dugar is somebody who writes for the athletic. He covers the Seahawks. He's incredibly talented. And he wrote an article, I believe it was last summer that talked about sort of the deteriorating relationship between Russ, Pete Carroll, John Schneider. And at the time it was a little bit like, oh, but how bad is it? Right? Like, the Seahawks they're like they go to the playoffs almost every year but if you watch this team closely they were deteriorating every year too like they were getting further and further away from actually winning a Super Bowl they were going to the playoffs they were making decent regular season runs but they were getting further and further and further away from actually winning a Super Bowl and so you knew that there was an expiration date on it I don't know that I expected it to be this soon um, but Russell Wilson has a no trade clause. And so he has to waive it in order for any trade to go through, which means he waived it. And so yeah. he wanted to go to Denver. Um, and I think if you're Seattle, if you're Seattle, I'm not sure where you go from here. You have a, you have a lot of potential, right? Because they got two first, two second and a fifth. I think they got three players. They got Noah Fant, they got Shelby Harris, and then they got Drew Locke. You're not going to win the NFC West with Drew Locke. You're not going to compete in the NFC West with Drew Locke. So the Seahawks have the potential to do something good out of this trade. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos won this trade because the Broncos are set up to win now, right? Like the AFC mm -hmm. West is a gauntlet. He's going to have to go through Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, and Derek Carr is by far the worst quarterback in that division. And he's a great quarterback. And you, so you breaking, the path to us, you are breaking this Raider fans heart right here. <laughs> am I wrong? Am I like You're Justin not. Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, yeah. Derek Carr, like Russell I, I Wilson. Say, I didn't say you were wrong. You just breaking my heart. That's all. <laughs> I'm sorry. If we're looking for the good news with this new playoff format, right? Like right, the right. West sent three teams to the playoffs this year. Indeed, and indeed. obviously one of them ended up winning it in the Rams. And so Russell Wilson is going to have a, a very tough time getting through his own division, but we've seen this blueprint from the Broncos before, right? When they got Peyton Manning, we have seen, we, we see in Denver, the pieces that he has around him, as far as the weapons at his disposal, the, um, 
and defense that they're well, you know, now does Von Miller come back? Is he interested in coming back and winning another Super Bowl with the Broncos? And so I think for Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, they're in win now mode. Yeah. For the Seattle Seahawks, they are in sort of a weird spot where I don't know if this is like fully rebuild. Like, like we're starting over, we're going to draft a quarterback that we believe in, but know that like, you know, it's like three, four five years that we really like take advantage of, of, you know, we, we can build around, around him or if it's a, okay, we're going to really focus on our defense. We're going to resign Quandre Diggs. We're going to beef up our offensive line. We're going to say like Legion of Boom 2.0, figure out how to do that. And then just get a serviceable veteran at quarterback, right? Whether that is Jimmy Garoppolo or Mitchell Trubisky or or Marcus Mariota, whoever it may be. But I think right now Seattle has two passes in front of them where they have sort of that idea that they're like only renovating like the kitchen of the house right. or they're deciding, are we going to tear the whole thing down and just start over from the studs? Pete Carroll is going to be 71. I don't know that he is like all that stoked about a full rebuild. So if right. I, you know, I, I think that we, I think we're going to learn a lot in the coming weeks. I think letting Bobby Wagner go was also um, a very sort of telling move because those two in talent, like what, who they are in terms of talent is incredibly, incredibly difficult to replace who they are as people nearly impossible like those two have been franchise pillars of that locker room they have been leaders they have been I mean Bobby Wagner this last this last year he every Wednesday would start with like I called it Wagner wisdom so it was like something that was on his heart a book that he was reading or why he meditated or yoga or whatever it was and it was all about for him like talking about who he was off the field and what mattered to him um, as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, as a human, and um, was really, really cool. And those are the kind of things that it, you you look around and you go, okay, mm-hmm. who's going to step up? Who's going to be that leader in that locker room? Because you're going to need somebody because you've taken away both sides of the ball, the people who've held that down for the better part of a decade in Seattle. Yeah. So. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where the Seahawks go, but they're obviously not in a spot where, you know, you look at the NFC West, like it's almost identical to what it was last year and they didn't make the playoffs. Right. So they're not going to be in a spot where it's going to, it's hard for me to see how they compete in the NFC West incredibly well this season. Um, They have to find an answer at quarterback. That's, that's where it starts, but they also need to do things like re-sign Quandre Diggs. Um, They need to figure out, how to beef up their, their offensive line. They need to re-sign a running back. You know, I mean, they have so many needs that I just, I'm not sure where they're going to start. Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to transition here um, because, you know, obviously this past week we found out about the unfortunate arrest of Brittany Griner in Russia. And it was over cannabis oil, essentially, which is, Definitely trash to me. I think that would be trash for anybody, especially that lives here in the state of Oregon. Um, But, you know, obviously, you know, it's a big news story now, but it's been about three weeks since she's been detained. And we hadn't really heard much about it up until, you know, the last few days. Um, I want to know what your thoughts are are on that. 
um, and how it obviously affects and impacts women's basketball in particular and, and what lens should us as sports fans, us as Americans, so on and so forth, be looking at this ordeal from? I mean, I think first and foremost, your heart just goes out to to Brittany, to her wife, to her whole family, and you just hope for a safe return, right? I mean, like yeah. that is that is the only thing that matters here is that Brittany makes it home safely, and she's obviously in a scary situation. Um, she is in a country that is actively invading another one, and um, she's been playing overseas in Russia for seven years, so she knows the rules. She knows how it works. They know her. Um, I think it was last year. They actually won her team won won their league last year. Um, and so it's just it's a scary, scary situation on on all fronts. And I think from my perspective, I'm very skeptical of where what information I'm trusting um, in terms of why she was arrested, when she was arrested, why she's being detained. And those aren't things for me to decide, right? And so this is where like sort of my um, my niche of storytelling comes back to like, I just hurt for the human being, uh, Brittany Griner, who's who's stuck in Russia. And right. um, you hope first and foremost for her, her safe return. And then, um, you know, once that happens, I think I just, I it, it breaks my heart that um, these women still have to go and compete overseas in order to make, the money that professional athletes deserve. Right. I think she was getting paid close to a million in Russia and she's mm-hmm. making about 220,000, I think here yeah. in the WNBA. And so, you know, first and foremost, most important, you know, everything else pales in comparison, get Brittany home, like get her home safely. Um, and then secondarily, like let's figure out how to make sure these women don't have to do this. They don't have to play. 11 months of the year and live apart from their families and, and go do all of that because, um, these are the best athletes in the world and they should be treated and paid accordingly, um, here at home. And so I think that that's the, that's sort of where I'm at with it is just, just thinking of Brittany and her family and the people who love her and, and hoping, hoping and praying for, for that safe return. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I I can't let you get out of here without speaking a little bit of Oregon sports as well, of course, Um, starting with the Blazers. Obviously, you know, they they've made a lot of moves before the trade deadline. Covington's gone. Norman Powell's gone. I I saw you were in Los Angeles and you were able to see their first game as Clippers during that same time period that you were doing uh, Super Bowl work that, that we already discussed. And most importantly, CJ McCullum's gone as well. That that's obviously the biggest move, um, just based on all that he was able to do for this Blazers organization. Um, what do you see for the Blazers coming up next? I mean, obviously they still got a shot at the play-in, and and is Dame going to be back or not? We don't know. I think if Dame could come back for the play-in. He probably should. And the reason that I think that, because I feel that Dame was the biggest advocate for the play-in going into the bubble, if you recall. So mm-hmm. I, I, I want him to be healthy, first and foremost. Don't come back 80% or anything like that. But if Dame's 95%, close to 100%, like I think he should come back and play because I do think that 
for one, the bubbles, I mean, not the bubble, but the plan has been a success. I like the plan, mm-hmm. model, but I think Dame was like the biggest advocate for the plan. So I think he should come back and he should do everything in his power to come back if he indeed has that chance to go to the play-in, make it into the playoffs, and just try to compete for a championship, even with the team that we know probably has no chance at winning one. But <laughs> for you, what, what, were, was there any good that came out of this deal or these deals, I should say, you know, right before the trade deadline? Or are we still just kind of having this same roundabout conversation? Dame wants to win a championship, but – we just qu- don't quite see how that's going to happen here in Portland. Well, ironically, because obviously they have the same owner, the Seahawks and the Blazers are sort of in a similar position now that obviously mm. like Damian Lillard is the Russell Wilson of the Blazers. So they're not moving off of Damian Lillard. They've done the opposite. They've moved off of everybody else in right. order to build around Damian Lillard. Right. And right now what the Blazers have is potential. They have money they have space they have um trade assets i believe they got some picks back maybe in the norman powell one so they right now what they have is potential they have potential to build around damian lillard they need to make the play in in order for it to be a conversation of whether dame's going to play they look like they're actively avoiding trying to make the play in um because yusuf nurkic isn't playing Anthony Simons isn't playing. And outside of those two, stunningly enough, like there's, there's nobody (laughs) on this team that has been there. Like Ant is, I think he's in his fourth year in the league. And he was the veteran coming out of the trade, out of the all-star break on the court because Nurk wasn't playing. Right. Like it's, it's wild. You've got, got guys picking up 10 day contract after 10 day contract just to play in Drew Eubanks so that they have a starting center. Um, so this team is actively avoiding the play in, in my opinion. Um, they're two games back right now. And New Orleans is trying to win. Like CJ McCollum is shining in, shining. in New Orleans. Yes, he is. And I think, I think yesterday, I think they're, were they playing Memphis? And yeah, they were, they were Okay. And there were, 25 first quarter points CJ either scored or assisted on every single one of them. So you look ahead of the Blazers in the standings and you have the Lakers who are a mess, but still have LeBron. And then you have the Pelicans who look like they're actively trying to win. And so I don't know if I see the Blazers even jumping up into that playing spot. Um, But for the, for the Blazers, it's going to be the summer. Like everything is going to matter this summer they were in, a, again, a similar spot as the Seahawks where make the playoffs year in, year out. But outside of that one blip, the 2019 Western Conference Finals run, they're getting eliminated in the first yeah. round very early, right? And so they needed to do something to shake it up. But it really has been, I think, hard on Blazers fans to go from, you know, you never know how good you have it until yeah. you're not making a play-in tournament. And then it's like, oh, shoot, were we okay with just like making the playoffs every year and not winning a title? Because right now it feels like, where do you go from here? But um, the reality is, I mean, this this is a team that's playing for next season. They want to see some of their younger guys develop and see if any of them can be contributors next year. But I wouldn't look into Blazers basketball any deeper than that. Got it. Got it. What's next for Adrian McCoy? I, I know you got a lot coming up. March Madness is here. Um, what, what's next for you? 
So we are going to air the high school basketball state championships on Portland CW on Saturday. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be sidelined for that. So I'll be posted up at the child center today and tomorrow to do some prepping, um, get to know some of these teams and players and coaches. And then um, we have March Madness, both men and women's. The men's tournament is on CBS. It's on coin. So we have a bunch of specials coming out of a lot of these big games. And I'm super excited because I'm working on features with, um, I won't share too much right now, but I'm working on some really cool features with uh, some some women that yeah. are really impactful in, in women's basketball. And then, um, you know, some big stories like uh, we have one on the sports bra, which I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's the new sports bar in Portland that is only going to be showing women's sports. Um, wow. So I, I did not I know, know so this. Talk about it's, it. It's, so it's opening or her goal is to open in early April. Jenny, Jenny Wynn is opening it. She is a bucket. She still plays pickup basketball. She played basketball in community college, but then she blew out her knee became a chef. And so she's opening this bar called the sports bra and it's That's dedicated fun. to showing women's sports. And so she wants to highlight women's sports all the time. She's got um, sort of agreements with content like providers so that she always has content to stream, you know, she's going to be highlighting softball and gymnastics and women's basketball and NWSL. They're an official uh, watch location of the thorns. So um, I'm excited to share a little bit more of her story. She's unbelievable. The place is so cool and coming together. So you're going to get to know her a little bit better. So we've got features like that where, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Nice, nice. I, I got to ask you this one last question. I, I try to ask all my guests because this podcast is called the Wake Up and Win podcast. Um, it's kind of a spinoff of sort of the Oregon slogan as well. Um, what does AJ McCord do when she wakes up to set the tone for her to go out and win the day? Truthfully, that is one of my weaknesses is like, I wish that I could tell you like, oh, I get up every day and I do X, Y, and Z. That is something that I am working on because I find myself like um, getting distracted very early in the morning by everything that I have coming up in the day. Right. But what I typically will do is I will, I will wake up and um, I'll try to avoid checking emails, checking social media, checking messages until I can go to the gym or go for a run or do something active just to like set the tone for the day, um, get up, clear my head, figure out what I want for the day. Because I think a lot of times like, right, this, this little phone thing that we have, it tells us what we need to do today. It tells yeah. us what it wants from us today, ever what the world wants from us today. And I think that for me, it's important to have that moment, whether it's a 20 minute run or a 40 minute workout or whatever it is to just like process okay, here's what I have coming up today. Here's what I want it to look like. Here's what, how I want to show up today. Um, and so my best days are the ones that I do that. I don't do it every day, but those are, those are my best days is when I start, when I start that way. You got it. Got it. I love to hear it. Well, well AJ, um, it, it's Women's History Month. Yesterday, obviously, was International Women's Day. And you are indeed a, a, a staple in Oregon women's history um, with the accomplishments you have made. Um, with the work that you're continuing to do, um, with the platform that you've created for yourself and all of these different diverse ways um, that are all super dope. And I appreciate you so much for your work that you do. I appreciate you so much for willing to speak about it here on this podcast. And, and 
anything that I can do to support whatever you have going on, I'm a champion of AJ McCord. Keep doing your thing. That's so sweet. And I am of you too, my friend. Thank you so much for having me on. I can't wait to do another game with you. We'll have to do that soon. Yeah, we got to make it happen. It'll happen for sure. I, I, and don't be surprised if you get an invite somewhere down the line back on this year podcast. Done. Uh, on that note, we're going to leave everybody the way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. Uh-huh.